You're listening to a Milky Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of which we operate, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And with respect to where our collaborators, guests and listeners are, we extend our acknowledgement to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, past and present. Hello, my name is Patrick Hayes and this is Producers in Conversation. This podcast is all about a space for producers to discuss, share triumphs, experiences and difficulties as we explore the ever-elusive question, what is a producer anyway? I've been in this industry for about 10 years now and I'm still not sure I know the answer. Today I'm joined by Joel Allen, who is a producer who has worked in many different festival contexts, similar to myself. We go into a lot of the conversation today around mental health, imposter syndrome, how we tackle that, and kind of just working through our producer careers. Just as a heads up, not necessarily a trigger warning, we don't get into any terribly dark conversations, but it is worth just noting that there is a lot of mental health talk in this specific episode. I'll have a few links in the show notes just to kind of link to if you are also a producer or arts worker who is struggling right now. Onto the conversation. Joel, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? I am Joel. I am currently the assistant producer for Adelaide Cabaret Festival. Um, I go by he, him. Sometimes I go by she, her, but not very often. (laughs) And... I forgot the last part already. But, uh, like it's kind of it, like just like your context in the arts, or like how how you would best like to describe yourself for a conversation about producing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. So yeah, I am the assistant producer for Adelaide Cabaret Festival. Outside of that, I do think of myself as a creative producer living and working in Adelaide. Yeah, and that's about it, really. Yeah, awesome. That's that's great. That's all. Like that, as I said, there's no wrong answers to introducing yourself. <laughs> I mean, I guess technically there are wrong answers to uh, <laughs> to introducing yourself, but that that sounded correct in many ways as an okay, outside great. observer. <laughs> um, so, expanding a, on what a we minor kind of identity got... crisis. I'm sorry. Look, we've all been there, and that's kind of what we. Do, <laughs> and this is what the kind of the whole podcast is about: is trying to figure out what is going on with um, our professional identities. So, Joel, I guess the first question I'm going to ask is: What is your definition of a producer? Great question. Thank you so much for asking. I think my definition of a producer is somebody who works and thinks about producing. <laughs> Yeah. It's somebody who helps get something from an idea stage to an actual stage is kind of how I see it. They kind of get things done is pretty much it. Yeah, they're the person yeah. behind the scenes that allows the projects to get up and be celebrated and be participated in. Yeah, it's it's kind of the, the backbone of how stuff happens is pretty much my vibe. Yeah, I mean, like, in most of the conversations I've been having, that seems to be a very strong staple, basically. It's, like, kind of the one sentence that you'd say for a producer is just, like, the person who gets things done is that kind of, like, we just, we do what we have to do. But, yeah, it's that weird multi, like, which also makes it really hard to define, I think, because it's more like the role itself is almost like a a vibe of, like, just (laughs) getting things done. (laughs) Um, producing is a vibe i would absolutely 
hundred percent agree with that. It's a vibe. Yeah, it's- yeah. Some days more of a vibe than others. Um, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, we, as we kind of travel along. So, what? Like, I guess, why did you become a producer in your career? <sighs> Look, I don't know if I did it intentionally. I think it may have just been like a natural progression. I started my arts career back in like 2006, which feels so long ago now. I did high school and I did all the things there I and didn't really know where I wanted to land. And so when I finally left high school, I was going to do tourism because I felt like that was a thing that I wanted to do. And through tourism, I discovered the Adelaide Fringe Festival. And while I was talking to one of my lecturers, I was like, what do I do? I don't know what, like, I don't know where I'm going. And she was like, well, maybe go and check out Adelaide Fringe. Like, maybe you can be a volunteer and see what that's all about. So I volunteered with them. I actually did like an like a six-week kind of volunteer thing with the youth education program and kind of helped realize all of that, which actually now thinking about it, that really kind of was like my first taste of producing and I didn't even know it. How funny. Mm. And then I kind of went from there and worked a lot of front of house and was basically traveling Australia doing that for many years. And then the natural progression from that was like running venues and operations. And then I was living interstate and then in 2017 moved back to Adelaide and was kind of like not really sure what to do. And then I was offered this event, like a venue uh, manager role to activate this venue and create events in there so I was like great I'm moving into event management this is really exciting I like enrolled to study event management and then all of that kind of fell away and then I ended up in 2019 working for Fringe Festival as a Fringe Club as the Fringe Club producer Um, and that was probably like my first step as a producer but it was just like yeah still creating events um and then I just kind of worked on a few other things since then and now I'm at Adelaide Cabaret as an assistant producer and still quite unsure how I got here. <laughs> hey, I mean that's a fairly like good project like trajectory. Like I've like when I've shared my experiences on the podcast, it's been very like arts admin and then producing focus. But I actually like your story actually yeah. resonates a lot. There's a few people I know who've kind of gone that um, front of house ticketing box office route into producing, where they've worked as like ticketing managers for festivals and then suddenly are now programming festival like working within festival contexts all of those points um especially with those major festivals like fringe uh, adelaide and melbourne where those roles are super intense often the times and it's a very interesting way of like kind of seeing that perspective you meet a lot of artists meet a lot of audiences you start to learn the tastes of the general public as well which is something that some producers you know totally need more of in my opinion um also, myself, sometimes <laughs> it's really hard to know when you're seeing stuff in programming, you're like, oh, yeah, I like that thing. But will 200 people like that thing to come and see it tonight? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, audiences are really at the core of, like, producing, really. Like, it sometimes it feels like the project is what you're aiming for. But ultimately, you're creating stuff to find that audience. And if you don't know who your audience is and you don't know where they are, then, like, you're kind of missing that key component. Because if you put on a fringe show and nobody sees it, did you actually put on a fringe show? Look, that's been the question that I'm sure a lot of people have asked themselves <laughs> across the years, um, especially in the last couple of years with all of the very difficult times within ticket sales and COVID. Yeah, it's such an interesting mindset because it's also like I've had to switch my hat sometimes in that where I've worked for like 
more intense, I guess like not intense, but like funded public art projects or things like that where yeah. actually it's just happening and it's kind of like the audience is almost irrelevant in a certain sense because it's just like this public thing will happen in a main city square and people will engage with it or they won't and the artwork is happening. So I was also, I've had to like take my hat off of like worrying about ticket sales or things like that, but it's more about we need to make it look objectively interesting. And yeah, it's a, it's a really, audience is always a part of our journey, but it's just really interesting sometimes the different lenses of like, I guess, urgency of it or where, how much they do. Yeah, like more sure. of a comedy festival or a fringe festival. Definitely we are at the, you know, beck and call of the audience to please turn up and buy tickets and try to do that more <laughs> than one hour in advance. But yeah. <laughs> In that journey of um, kind of traveling through and even traveling around Australia, like what was the moment that you felt like a producer? I don't know if I've actually had any like crowning moments. I think there's like definitely been moments on every project where I've just like gone, this is really, really cool. And I'm so excited that this has like happened. Like, I guess there's like a part of me that's like, am I actually a producer? Am I actually doing this? I know it's in my job title, but like, do I know how to do this? Am I legit? Yeah, I just like, there's moments every now and then where I just like, I'm doing something very cool. And I'm just like, oh, this is cool. I, I like doing this. This is, it's, this feels right. That's um, all you need. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's like, and, and Joel has been a fan and has listened to our podcast. So I might reference some of those other conversations that I know Joel has listened to. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think like that's a like an experience that a lot of us have had where it's a really weird task to kind of align and go, oh, I am a producer now. And it often relies on someone else telling us that we have fulfilled that role or have done that or all those moments. But yeah, I honestly don't think I had a moment specifically. My, like I asked that question, but I don't know if I had this like flick of a switch that said, oh yes, I am now a producer and I now know exactly what I'm doing and I know exactly what it is I'm doing. In fact, the more I do this series, the more that it's just becoming more unanimous that producers only have like about a 70% idea of exactly what we do. And then there's like a 30% of random chaos that we have to manage along the way. Yeah, it's it like the other day, my boss is really amazing and she makes sure that we do like a one-on-one -on -one check in every week just to be like, how are you? How are you feeling? Do you need anything from me? How can I support you better? And I really appreciate that. And the other week I had a couple of days off and came back in and she was like, how are you doing? And I was like, yeah, I'm doing really well. I think I've just realized that I'm only still a maybe like a baby producer and that I've been putting too much pressure on myself and realizing that has been really good for my mental health because <laughs> um, realistically yeah. I've only been doing it for like three years like sure I've been working in and around it and know how events and stuff but like actually with a title as a producer it's only been three years so I don't know where I where it went from being like cool this is a new job to you need to know absolutely everything and be good at it 100% of the time. I have often reflected on that myself because I had a very a steep trajectory in my career. I in within the space of seven years, I went from a administrator to program manager of a whole festival, yeah. and I think it's because producers, for one, we're often this kind of like where this knowledge role 
in this very chaotic and just hab-dash kind of industry where a lot of things and a lot of points and often the role itself, because it is always we fill in the unknown, there's always this kind of like improvement and upskilling that just kind of happens with our roles. But also you just, you suddenly have like these veteran artists or people who work in the industry who've been there for like 10 years who are suddenly looking to you for like answers or solutions and point. And it's very easy to suddenly be like, oh crap, now I'm this really like integral thing and then everything will fall down if I'm not here, which is why I I didn't have like a holiday in that seven year period and (laughs) had a burnout. But yeah, I think that's just like some, I think when you're a producer, you start to like mature career wise quite quickly up the ranks Mm. because it is just like every people just start looking to you going, well, what, how do we do this? Like, what are the legalities around this? What's the licensing that we need? Like, or like, you know, so we want to drop something from the ceiling and have it set on fire in the middle of the stage. What do we have to do? And it's always like the artist, like, like you know, all the heads turn and look at you at once. And you're like, well, I guess I'm Googling how to set things on fire and what uh, systems Google, we need to go through Google that. the best friend ever? Google is the producer that we and- all we all have. it's like between google and like the collective mind of your network that you can just like touch base into to be like right this is what i'm dealing with who's dealt with it where do i go to cabaret festival is actually part of adelaide festival center so we have like four festivals under the banner um, at festival center so it's really nice to be like okay i'm dealing with this and then like just kind of yell across the pods who can help me? Who's dealt with this before? Who's got the answers? Yeah. Um, and that's really that's a really nice moment to have like that as a support behind you for sure. It is one of the things I miss about like because I used to work at Brisbane Powerhouse, and there was oh, yeah. about I think at the at the best of times in the like times of Powerhouse, there was about like five or six producers, and that was just a really lovely environment to kind of have that support because you would just go, "What's going on?" Like I need an answer or like does anyone have like someone who could come and perform something this friday or know of anyone who fits this very niche bracket of what i need to fill out something and just like having six creative minds kind of like throwing it is just great but then also it was like just stuff like oh does anyone have any tips for my budget or like talking around those things which is often where i throw my google uh, hat on is like googling how to make all my cells equal this like all of these kind of like (laughs) Probably very simple things, but I'm like, Google will just tell me how to, how yeah, to do that. My, my boss is pretty much convinced that I am a, a super wizard at Excel. And it's yeah. just because I've Googled the, the most basic of formulas to do something that makes it look pretty that she just is like, I could never do that. And I was like, you can, you just need to Google the right thing. Just need, just need to Google how to make my spreadsheet pretty and <laughs> all of that points. Well, speaking in that kind of realm, so we're talking about spreadsheets and skills and all of that stuff. What kind of core skills do you think a producer needs? Look, I'm going to say first and foremost, like my, my Pokemon power, I talk about my boss too much, but she coined that phrase for me is like creative problem solving and like ideas focused. Mm -hmm. Like I can give you ideas until the cows come home, depending on what the question or the problem is. But I feel like that's been my biggest asset is like going, right, okay, here's the problem. Here's seven ways we can solve it. And then trying to work through that. But yeah, problem solving is definitely right up there. Time management also very crucial. Mm Mm-hmm. 
people skills, I think being able to, and that like really evolves into many different facets of like negotiating and artist management and all of that kind of stuff. Like if people being good with people is good. And then finances is the other thing. I think they were like the, the hot four that I've got. Look, I think those are really the staple like skeleton of every producer that I have met or known. Like it's kind of, yeah, and also in a lot of the conversations, we've got a few more that are coming out soon. Yeah, that kind of like looking at problem solving, but not always only being able to figure out one. We have to find out multiple solutions and just have like generate ideas and kind of go, look, this is a difficult thing, but here are like, you know, we could do this, 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 or we just don't do it. Like this is the five options that you've got. Someone tell me what we're doing. Yeah, Cause we're, <laughs> yeah exactly. Know, I need the artist to go, yep, that one's workable. The director to go, yep. Or even sometimes it's the budget going, which one can we afford? That one, done. Yeah, Moving for sure. forward. But yeah, people skills, time management, all of those, like basically organizational skills in that kind of business sense, which I think is a very important part of being a producer and what a lot of people expect of us to kind of add to that process uh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's also like the element of like not being precious about anything. I think if like you can't fixate on anything because the minute you do is the minute that it changes and like you have to be really flexible to be able to move with the punches depending on what which way the project ends up going and really trying to like you know guide it back to the end product as much as possible but yeah there needs to be that flexibility. Honestly one of my favorite product times and I talk about this with um Tim Stitz which is one of the newer episodes I talk about it as the like the roller coaster drop moment for producers. Mm-hmm. Like and it's only like a week out before a project or a festival or whatever. And I it's my favorite time of producing. Like it is a very intense time, but it is my favorite because you suddenly move out of all of this metaphorical planning conversations back and forward where you know, I love I love the arts world, but sometimes when you've had like 17 meetings and you're just trying to figure out wording on a sign or something like that, I'm just like, I, I just need to move forward. <laughs> and then suddenly you're in like the event and it's just like because you don't have any time to like call those meetings or do anything like that, you're just literally relying on impulse and going, yep, no, moving forward, problem solved, fire put out, like that's kind of the – and that is my – that is the time I have felt the best as a producer and yeah. the most in control of everything. But it is also just like the most tiring part of being a producer, which is often why we all fall on a heap at the end uh, of a festival and are done. <laughs> yeah, delivery mode. I bloody love delivery mode. I love the ideation at the beginning of the process, the bit in the middle where it's like trying to dot all the I's and cross all the T's gets a bit tedious. But once you hit delivery, oh, I am, the adrenaline kicks in, the like clear thought processes of like having to solve things in a minute that Mm -hmm. really kicks in at that moment and that's really exhilarating yeah delivery is good time and then you get the sucker punch of reporting after it and you have to kind of go through and look at all the carnage that you did in like (laughs) delivery mode and you're like oh no what did i do in delivery mode so cabaret festival happens in june of each year and we have mm-hmm. to reconcile everything by the end of the financial year. So once the festival is finished, we literally have 10 days, if that, yeah. to, like, reconcile everything. Now, that is, like, not a way to finish our festival. No. It's sometimes but super it's that, intense. Like, it's so intense. But on the, the other side of that is that, like, you get to, like, break, have a break 
much quicker because you're not waiting months and months for like stuff to like be finalized like within by you know mid end july we're like great we'll see you in two weeks let's go we'll have the holiday yeah no i think that's sometimes there are benefits to it and sometimes there are not which i imagine cabaret festival similar to like when i was working on apam had like really high stakes like state government federal government funding and support where like i don't know like because APAM kind of sits in this place of the Australian Performing Arts Market, for anyone who doesn't know the acronym, sits in a very official standing. The reports were, like, super, like, those were ones of those reports where I had to, like, print out, like, a 60-page document, bind it, and then mail it to, like, the government. And that was my, after an APAM, like, trying to, like, not even write it. I didn't even have to write most of it, but I had to format it all because it had to almost look like a book. But oh, oh, anyway, reporting, it's, it's, a, it's a time. That is, anyway, <laughs> we, we could talk about that forever. Speaking of things that we struggle with, reporting, what is one thing that you struggle with on being a producer and how do you manage it? I, like, struggle with mental health. That's probably, like, my, my biggest struggle. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, depression, imposter syndrome, like, all of the above. And... I feel like I'm getting better at it, which is good. I kind of moved back to Adelaide in 2017 because I got to a point where I actually was absolutely burnt out. I didn't have a home base, so I was kind of just like living out of a suitcase for a few years. I'd done some really tough contracts and my health had kind of started deteriorating. So I was like, oh, okay, I think I need to make some big life changes. Um, So I moved back home to Adelaide in 2017 and just have kind of been on that journey ever since. And it's still a journey that I'm on. I am pretty open about it. So that makes things life a lot easier. The depression side of stuff is kind of, I wouldn't say it's gone, but it's definitely not as intense as it used to be. I could, there would, when I was like having some pretty bad depression crashes, I would just not be available for like four days and it would just be me under my covers with everyone worried because they couldn't get in contact with me so like it got pretty bad there for a while but I haven't had something like that probably in like a year if not longer at this point so that's really good um and it just was really great that through like the really bad part of that I was actually working with an organization here in LA called Access to Art which is a disability arts organization they advocate for like disabled artists Um, Mm -hmm. and then also like provide programs for those living with a disability. Um, So I was working on a project for them. And so like, it was like the perfect place to be while I was going through all of that because I was 110% supported by them through that journey. And I think being able to like talk to them about it as my employer and feel supported through that has like enabled me to now like carry that forward and be able to have that conversation like with you know, my ongoing workplaces. So that has probably been the hardest thing. Yeah, the depression side of stuff is kind of eased off, which is really nice. The anxiety is always kind of there, but it's manageable. And yeah, it that's just, it's kind of weird to have that and to be a producer at the same time. <laughs> oh, but, but it's like, working. <laughs> I honestly don't know if I've met a producer that doesn't suffer anxiety or depression. <laughs> In some way, shape, or form. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm very open about my own mental journey as well. I've gone through a burnout and points. I don't necessarily blame like any industry. Like I said, I was like, I just pushed myself too hard for too long and had to stop. And my body was like, nah, you're you're stopping now. Um, And 
Yeah, like, and I think that was kind of like mental health and the arts in general is a, a difficult kind of conversation because there's a lot of mentality that's been changing slightly, like slowly and getting there. I think there has been positive change in the arts around mental health and understanding some of those complexities that comes to working in such a high intensity industry, especially since it's not as stable. And then it was even getting better. And then obviously the lockdown happened, which kind of forced everyone to maybe recognize it a bit more because it was a widespread, mm. urgent issue for a lot of people where, you know, a lot, I had a lot of artists who couldn't fulfill contracts and stuff like that because they were just going through mental health issues in lockdown and, you know, trying to expect someone to create an artwork when they're going through a massive bout of depression and can't get out of their bed for four days is not realistic and not useful on either side. Like it's not useful for the product or for the artist. And yeah, I think talking about it is a good like thing to do in a public forum as well, because the more I speak to people, the more I realize more arts workers are going through those feelings and experiencing that. And my, in my own personal experience of depression, the hardest and the most awful part of depression for me is that it is so isolating. And then it makes you feel like you're the only person experiencing those things. And yeah, that's that's the real shit part of it. And yeah. Yeah. And it's really, I think what's like fascinating is that like there, like on a day-to-day -day basis, like people can feel you know, slightly depressed and slightly anxious. But until, like, mm. you've felt it in, like, the most, like, consuming form of itself, you don't really fully understand how much it is, like, how full-on it is. Like, I can viscerally feel those moments when I was just, like, shut down and, like, unable to do anything. And, like, it just, it, oh, it kind of gives me chills to think about how debilitating yeah. it is. And, like, even just, but, yeah, like, to think that I'm not really dealing with it as much as possible, as much as I was, like, now, like, that feels like growth and it feels really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know where I'm going with this point, but. <laughs> That's okay. Like, I think it's, like, don't have to go anywhere. It's just one of those things that I think you're, <laughs> you're right. And I think it's, yeah, I think I've just seen a lot more people. And I think that's kind of why, the, in a weird way, the pandemic helped this a little bit is that. I don't, at least in Victoria, when everyone was going through their, you know, two-year lockdown, you could see people struggling with what I would call the symptoms of depression for the first time uh, in their life, like a severe depression of going, I'm, I can't do anything, nothing's... And it may have been an extrinsically mm -hmm. imposed depression, but it was just really interesting to kind of see how we all went through that process. And I think mm -hmm. hopefully the arts have kind of got a better understanding of like when people say those words, it hits and yeah. how that can kind of impact. And it's just one of those things that we're all kind of learning and getting through. I think a lot of the, my major uh, like mentors slash figureheads in my career, I've often like had these conversations with, where they've also gone through like massive mental health spells and, all of that stuff. Some people are really great at compartmentalizing it and you would like never know, mm. you know, that razzle dazzle dancing around. I'm a producer. Let's get another drink kind of vibe. And then there's other people who are just a bit more that disconnect is getting harder and harder to kind of do. So yeah, I think it's like, it's worth doing it. 
listeners, I'm probably going to, just because we talked a lot about depression in this episode, I'll probably put some links up to some of those resources. Just a gentle reminder that you can always access, well, not always, but like a mental health plan from the government, get your get your 10, 10 or 20 sessions, whichever it is for whichever state. I know some states are different these days. Get the plans, go see a therapist, have a chat, do the things. But also if you're a producer out there that's really struggling with anxiety and depression, like, yeah, like take a second. We all have been there. I have had events that have literally left me crying in the corner of a room. Um, I have, uh, like, honestly, it was like, I think it was at a, like, a festival and everyone else was, I could I could hear the party happening in, like, the room next door. And I was just, like, mentally, physically spent <laughs> and just, like, in the corner going, oh, my God, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> and, yeah, it's it's tough. It's a tough industry. Yeah. I think that, like, going back to those earlier answers, it, it's also hard because we sit in roles where we often, whether it is put on us or not, we are often in roles that take on responsibility in certain mm. ways. So if also a project's not going well or something is going awry, I know I feel responsible, even if I might not be, which is a really frustrating <laughs> trying to d- disconnect. But I totally. think it's... You know, if I can't figure out how the thing falls down and turns on fire on stage, I've suddenly let down the whole project because that was the thing that was very integral to the project or all of that kind of stuff. And it's hard to not take that on. Totally. I was thinking about this earlier today and it's like producing is like a fully pass-fail kind of job. It's (laughs) different shades of pass and fail, but basically your project either gets up or it doesn't. And like, that's really a lot of pressure to be under. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And, and you know, it is that thing of like, I think you're right. It's a pass-fail. And often, I don't know, often it feels more, and this might be like one of that psyche things of like bad memories kind of live on longer in your head or not. But like, mm. I remember more of the times that I failed than I've passed, for example. Oh, yeah, um, <laughs> it's human nature. You always remember the negative stuff. You never remember the positive stuff. Like, there is a point in my life, this is a very random story, but when I was like a child, I was studying theatre outside of school and there was like this one exercise where we had to like do some weird improvising by by yourself. And in one moment, I decided that I was going to reach out to another kid to help them with my solo improvise. And the teacher was like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just getting them to help me with this thing. And they're like, no, no, this is a solo improvisation. And I was like, oh, okay. I have held on to that feeling of feeling rejected in that one small activity in my nearly 40 years of life. And that's the thing that I carry around with me on a daily basis. <laughs> yep. It's yes. Uh, look, I, I could, I could waste a whole four hours probably going through every one version of that in my head, which I'm just like, what? Oh my God. Like, all of these horror stories that aren't even arts related, as you said, like there's things going way back when where it's just like simple mistakes that you make and then suddenly it's ingrained yeah. in your yeah. brain. It's like, why am I hanging on to that? It is irrelevant to anything in life. Nobody else from that moment is thinking about that moment. So, like, why yeah. am I hanging on to it? I've had moments in like in professional world where I made mistakes and then just like I was like, well, I'm, it's over. You know, I'm no longer going to work in the arts because 
everyone will hear about this and I will <laughs> never work ever again. And it's like I accidentally sent like a contract maybe to the wrong person or things, which we everyone has done. Everyone has done that. But I just remember the absolute fear in my soul of going, well, yep, okay, better better start looking at courses and upskilling in something else because I'm, I'm done. But um, Every time I, mean, I send a... A, a group email it's that one moment of like okay there's a lot of people in this email have i written everything oh god oh god and then you hit the send and you're just like oh yeah it's gone yeah. I, I can't do anything about it now <laughs> i think i had to treat teach myself just to like type and go but then i i then i had this awful like couple of months where i had terrible spelling in a lot of my emails because i was like not forcibly trying to not check my emails and then uh yeah grammarly has helped a lot in that world where it really flags that for me so another pro tip get grammarly okay so we're kind of talking around this anyway as well but like so we're recording this in like mid-october ish and i say that because the world is on fire and everything is changing and all of those points (laughs) but how are you dealing with the current climate of 2022 so you're like obviously working for adelaide cabaret festival and how is were you working on the past year as well, or have you just come into that? Uh, yes. So I started March 21. So I was I came in at program okay. launch t- time then. So I helped deliver the 21 festival, was on board from the beginning of 22, and now we're currently looking at 23. Right. And it's a very weird time. I think we're pretty much planning for things to be back to some sort of normal it's just like customer buying habits that I think are the bits that we're most concerned about and just flight prices, flights and customer buying habits. They're the two hot topics at the moment. Flights are intense. Yeah. I'm even looking for personal flights at the moment <clears throat> and just for, for um, season travels to see family up in Brisbane. And I'm shook, as, as a young person would probably say, I am shooketh. Yeah, I can only make because like Cabaret Festival works with a lot of international artists as well. So I'm assuming international airfare is astronomical at the moment. Yeah, it's 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 really hard. Um, we're basically having to like double out what we would normally budget for flights, and that is less than ideal, you know. And hopefully we are conservative and budget more than they need to. And hopefully by the time we need to actually purchase them earlier next year they've come down a bit but right now like we just have to really go off of what we have now i was reading an article like Qantas came out the other day and said that we shouldn't expect anything to change within the next i think it was like eight to 12 months and that's bonkers yes it is one of those things that's definitely sneaking up on it at least like on the flip side uh, hotel prices have been down a little bit, uh, I guess, because less people are traveling and people need, they're trying to incentivize travel. But yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting because we're starting to plan out our like artists that we're touring for 2023 as well and trying to budget and plan and look at how to travel across Australia because it often relies on flights and even domestic flights are just really starting to skyrocket a little bit more than what totally. they used to. I think the flights that I'm paying for for in December at the moment I would normally pay about maybe 300 return with, with luggage and I'm paying 500 return with node luggage this time yeah. around. And it's, I'm just like, well, I hope, I hope my family really loves me being up there for December because there's no presents because I've just spent all my present money on getting to Brisbane. <laughs> I'll put yeah. a ribbon on my head. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, 
that yeah it must be a real because like uh, did you have international artists this year back in the cabaret festival or not really it ended up being quite local mm-hmm. mostly because at our planning stages there was still oh god what was it called the 14-day thing where you had to be in a hotel when you came from international. The ice, Yeah, the travelling into isolation kind the of. The quarantine, quarantine after. Yeah. yeah, that still existed while we were building our program and that only really disappeared shortly after we had to go to print. So trying to get American or any internationals to come over to be like, hey, can you come and be part of our festival? P.S. You need to be in a hotel lockdown for 14 days before you can actually come out. And yeah, nobody else in the world had had that still. So they were like, no, why would I do that? So we didn't have a huge amount. Fortunately, we had a couple of people that were internationals that were kind of in Australia already. We had mm-hmm. one group that was just like, we're up for it. Let's do it. So that was really amazing for them to say that so early on. I mean, it didn't eventuate that they needed to, but yeah, it was kind of wild. And even as we were going, so we had to like budget with 75. We had to think about this 14-day quarantine for any internationals, which then disappeared once we'd sent off the program to print. And then the, gosh, I've forgotten all the words already. How bad is that? It was just the start of the year. Um, We could only sell to 75% of our, and then like just before we went on sale, reduced capacity, there we go. Just before um, we went on sale, all of that disappeared. So then all of a sudden we could go to 100% with all of our events. So it was just like this wild roller coaster over like the first three months of the year. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. I think that's one of the Um, biggest things of the, the challenges is that I don't know, like one, like with all those changes, it was very quick and it takes time. As you said, like, you know, the printed program or like just locking in the program happens months before the event happens and it's not this drop of the dime turnaround. I still remember and I, I love my family, but even when the first lockdown happened because I work with Milky and we kind of work at the Malt House to program for like comedy festival and things like that. And my family just were like, well, you know, why don't you just make like a Netflix comedy festival as if we could all just like immediately change everything about the industry. And I was like, that's not how it works. It takes no. so much time just to get a person on a stage, let alone people in yeah. front of them to listen to them. And uh, all of these, but it's, yeah. And that suddenly all these longer timelines that were normally like six months lead up time suddenly got condensed to like two months. Or as you said, like suddenly it's like, oh, well, you've planned everything for a 75% festival and now it's 100 percent and go like it's just with a whiplash was so intense in that kind of period it's glad i'm glad to hear that it's kind of starting to stabilize a bit more though that's good yeah the like covid stuff is but i think like audience perceptions and how they buy tickets is still pretty much up in the air um i think like across australia it's pretty still rocky but like i think adelaide in particular like there's events like i was supposed to go and see years and years in november and their adelaide side show that they were doing has just been cancelled but like that's the only show they've cancelled out of their dates in australia so it's like okay so everyone else is kind of bouncing back but adelaide is still very behind in buying tickets so it's just it's really strange yeah it must be like a real it is like also because adelaide is often like i guess like a often tourist art destination where a lot of people like kind of go, especially for the festival period when it's in that massive fest. Cause I know Adelaide has like, you know, it's one festival starts and then it's like three months of festivals kind of happen in mm. a big festival soup. Uh, 
yeah, how that would be impacted with like less South travel Australia, for the festival people. Festival of soup. Festival of soup. Patrick Hayes. Please, anyone from Adelaide, don't hate me for saying that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been such a hard point because like a lot of producers. One of the things we always try to teach or like slowly encourage audiences is to buy early. Like that's something that we've always been trying to do and like book early, plan early so we can predict. And now that has gone out the window. I barely look at ticketing reports until like the day of anymore. Like it's it's such a hard point. Like, yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, to it's really hard. Change that. There was... um. I did see there was a study that came out this week from Bolster and Tixel. I don't know what those things are, but they are something to do with ticketing in Australia. Hmm. Um, but they did a kind of like a music festival and event type thing and they surveyed a whole bunch of people, and which I found really pretty fascinating. But the one thing that they, like the, the main takeaways that I got from it was that like they said think smaller capacities, which I, sometimes you can and can't do, reasonable prices, people are looking to, pay an, a good price in demand artists and experiences which like the experiences is the thing that really stood out for me and what i am noticing is that like shows that have an add an element of kind of not a, like immersive but like where people are getting more than just that i'm doing a show and you're watching where there's that interaction between the performance and the audience like that's what people seem to be picking up and that's where kind of things seem to be selling out is that that extra element of interaction between a performance and an audience yeah yeah it'd be really interesting to see like what festival reports as well are kind of showing on like the trending of like how ticket sales are compared to past years and everything like that but um the next kind of question i like to ask is why do you think producers are important to the art sector i mean i think it kind of runs back to the original thing is that like they are the people that get it done um <clears throat> and if they don't get it done like, it's not done. <laughs> yeah, that's that is a poetic statement right there. They don't get it done. They if don't it's not get it done, done. Done. Yeah, I feel like RuPaul just spouting out nonsense at this point. I'm so sorry. I mean, we all need they, a RuPaul in the corner uh, spouting out nonsense for us. You know, what else? Like, what else? What else can we do? No, no like I think like. <laughs> It's it's one of those double questions because I think it's kind of like I get most people kind of explain that in what they think a producer is and then they kind of go this really in-depth talk around what a producer is and then why is it important. I guess I ask that question because, I don't know, sometimes I look at certain self-producing artists or like some of those moments where I think producing often sits in a place where depending on the project and how complex it is, I've seen some very simple and straightforward projects that have a producer where I kind of go, oh, look, as long if everyone just kind of emailed a bit better and understood timelines a little bit more, my role probably wouldn't have existed in that project because all I'm yeah. doing is literally just like being a messenger between people. So I just kind of like Sometimes. to reflect on like why. Yeah, Sorry, yeah I think like... I. I think you kind of nail it there in the sense that like, like the producer is able there to ha tackle the things so that like the artists can then be artists, you know? And sometimes that might be as simple as just like, you know, checking an inbox and doing a few things. But if that enables the artist to be fully involved in the, the art that they're making, like that's the gift we kind of give is to take on those that extra burden that can be as big as or as little as it needs to be. But it just enables those people to be in that space and take the business side out of it and so that they can create and be invested in that creation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm also, I think we're important. I've done my job. I, I exist in the arts. I get paid for it. Please keep employing me art sector. Absolutely. I don't, I never want to have that question suddenly disprove the need for producers in any way, because I'm not exactly sure what else I'd be doing um, other than producing. <laughs> it, I, they're so like necessary to get things moving and happening and going. And so that the quality of the project at the end is the best it can be because yeah, like I said, the artists have that space to be able to be in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is where we kind of get more focused on personal stories and things like mm-hmm. that. So what is one of the, like when it comes to producing, what is a moment that you are most proud of? I think I really had to think about this. I, again, I, I I think I call myself a baby producer. So I'm still having those moments. But it's just like any of those moments that like I feel like a bit of a rock star. There was a few nights when I was at Fringe Club producing that and we had, I mean, Jake Shears came in, Aquaria came in just randomly. And like having those people in the space that I had created was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Famous people are here. Oh, my God. They're enjoying the space that I built. Oh, my God. So that was really cool. The stuff I did with Access to Arts, there was a project called Heartbeat Club, which was creating like a safe nightclub environment for people living with disability and so like the nights that we had for that and just seeing all of them on the dance floor and they were like doing dj training as well so they were all djing for each other and having like the best night ever so like having watching that unfold was really amazing and then being able to like secure more funding for that to have a life was also really cool i secured the funding and then i moved on to another role so like be able to leave that as like a, a little gift, like pass that on to them to ensure that that project still had a life was really cool. Oh, I, I came up with my own little project for Cabaret Festival in uh, this year. And then when my boss walked in and was just like, had her mind blown about how cool it was and just like adoration for like what, how it had all come to life was really a really nice moment to be like, yes, I can do cool things. It's just like those little reassuring moments where I was like, yes, I'm on the right track. I'm doing it. And it feels really nice that people are enjoying the thing that I've helped create that's the bit that I really, I get a kick out of like, yeah, the witnessing people enjoy something that I've been so intrinsically involved in creating. Yeah. Awesome. I think those are great. Like often I think those are the things that keep me going in some of those more intense times as well. It's the smaller moments. Like we very rarely have those big, like the big fanfare and someone hands you a statue going, you have been the most amazing producer, but seeing people smiling or like at an event or just like really thorough, like genuinely enjoying an event that you've organized or points. Like I've also had just moments where not necessarily over the top, but just like artists genuinely thanking me for the work that I've done for them. And those kind of points are things that I'll always carry around with me, I think. So yeah, I think those are great, great suite of things. I'm looking for like, I'm looking forward to hearing about these amazing projects um, that you are mind blowing people about in in Cabaret uh, Festival. I mean, look, it. I'm being. Oh gosh, now I'm. I've, I'm overthinking it. It was just a little tiny project, but a lot of people, a few people came to it, and it was really lovely, and I was really happy with it. So, look, some of the some of the my some of my favorite projects I've worked on have had like some of the smallest audiences in ways because it's just like. You know, it wasn't for everyone, but it was like a thing that hit a mark for people. And, 
you know, what's like, what's that title of show, which I'm showing some musical theater nerd here, but like that title of show, like I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. And like, I hold that in my heart sometimes for certain projects. It's like, I'd yeah. rather make something that's amazing for some people than mediocre for a, a hundred. <laughs> Totally. I, I have a really, I'm, uh, I'm really fascinated by immersive theatre and immersive experiences. Like I get a real kick out of that. So like mm-hmm. there's this element of me of being like, I know I've done a good job when I've impacted how somebody's feeling without them knowing that I've impacted how they're feeling. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. On the flip side of proudest, what is one of the biggest mistakes that you've made if you are w- willing to share <laughs> stories about it? <clears throat> Look, um, it may be a little bit connected to the funding where it's definitely money related. <laughs> great, great. Uh, it was, uh, it was, it had to do with like my first gig run uh, as a venue manager and running events there. I did a, a fringe season at the venue and just thought I knew what I was doing and was not overly conservative enough in my budgeting. So lost a little bit of money on that. But um, yeah, it, you learn that lesson once, I think, <laughs> and you you uh, you take that on board and you make sure that it doesn't happen again. Yep, I you know I've had my fair share of budgeting issues. One of mine was public holiday things. Um, I didn't realize there was a public uh, holiday during budgeting, and then suddenly one day was a lot more expensive than the other days, and the budget got blown out a bit because of that. Which you know, if you're working in the in a very, I guess paying everyone what they should be paid venue, uh, then suddenly that gets really expensive because suddenly like someone's getting yeah. paid $50 an hour, it's getting paid $100 an hour, all those kind of points. Uh, so, yes. Or even my other one is just like, uh, you know, a sum or an algorithm in a spreadsheet is not working in a budget and suddenly I realize it's not counting four or five lines that I've added in because I just added them into the budget and the the um, formula didn't go, oh, you added that number in. I'm, sh- I'm sh- assuming you want me to calculate that number too. And then suddenly I realized, oh, crap, I'm not counting a few thousand dollars worth in that budget. So, yeah, yeah money budget, money mistakes are some of the most common. common um, but, yeah, as you said, you make them once and then you freak out every time now that you're looking at a budget and <laughs> triple check everything multiple times. That's it. It, it, like I was also starting from scratch, so I was having to like create my own budget to work from. So like you know, I was not setting myself up to succeed at all. I tried really, really hard, and I just yeah, you know, it, a beginner's mistake. But like th- now, like I, I feel pretty confident in budgets. I I still have a little bit more to understand about like overarching operational stuff. But like show budgets and getting stuff off the ground, I've now done shows and have made money and budgeted correctly yeah. so you know it's well like some of those things only come with experience like That's i it. used to always be in awe of like producers who could estimate artist fees and things like that just like really like off the top of their head be like okay well that's 300 for like 400 for this blah 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 and i was like who like what how do you know these numbers? Like, I don't know where I look this up to go put 2K aside for tech. Like, what? Like, I don't understand yeah. any... Fr- and then I suddenly, like, after four or five years working, I'm like, oh, people have just done enough of these projects that they're kind of like, oh, okay, tech's all my... Like, approximately this and this is this. But I do wish there was, like, a glossary catalogue that just told me exactly how everything costs all the time. And then that would have made budgeting 
a lot more easy. But that's not how the world works, unfortunately. No. And it's definitely not how producing works. There is no guide that you pick up that is like, here's producing. Oh, do you know, they should do like a dummy's guide for producing. I don't know what would be in it because it would it would not work. But it would be great if it existed. Yeah, all we've got is like, and, you know, Milky has a few of those kind of resources like checkboxes or guide, like not guides as in literally like an Ikea building a furniture step by step, but just kind of skeleton processes trying to like go, these are the things that you should be thinking about. But it's hard because as soon as you have it for one project, the next project is completely different and you have to kind of adjust things slightly. So, yeah, there's no golden chalice of this is producing There you go. Totally. It's interesting that you mentioned that because the mistake that I made with the the budgeting on that big project for Fringe, I actually ended up winning a Best Emerging Producer for it because the end product of what I created was so amazing and I actually was awarded the Best Emerging Producer by Milky and got a mentorship for a year with her afterwards. And so, like, that was also really great at, like, reforming some of the things that I had mistakes that I'd learned and just being able to move forward with it. Like she was really great in those very early stages of like self-doubt after all of that. But yeah, like she put me back on the right path. Well, the last, the kind of closing question that we have as well is like kind of linked, but what if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice at the start of your career, what would it be? I don't know. This is the thing. I, That's like okay. I said, I fell into it and I, I, don't know where I'm going with it. I'm just like, in, but I'm enjoying the journey. The, the the advice that I had was kind of like, I, I brought up earlier, but it's like producing is kind of like this pass fail job. So like, make sure you're always passing and not failing, but also like really <laughs> enjoy the moments that you get from it because you get to do some really cool things with it and be a part of something. So just enjoy it because it's kind of fun. Yeah. And I think, like, it's an interesting one of, like, with that pass-fail mentality as well. Because I think when you, when I hear that, when I hear those words, I get, like, I personally get stressed in my mind because I'm like, pass or fail, oh, my God, only two options. But then also looking in an academic lens, sometimes it's good to understand what's a pass-fail versus a graded points. And sometimes your projects, you know, you just need to do the thing and get it up. You don't actually need, not every project is the closing of the Olympics, not every project is these, like, which sometimes, like, you know, both you and I deal with anxiety and kind of those points. I used to get so freaked out where I was like, I'm getting someone on stage to talk for an hour. Why is my body acting as if someone's going to die if I do something wrong right now? And I mm. don't know why. And then there is that kind of understanding of going, well, actually, I got the person up. They're doing the thing. It's happened. Like, sure, it may have not been a sold-out show, but we hit the 60% mark that we were aiming for in the budget. You know, tick. Done. Done. Hit the point. And learning to kind of not always... I think I had to do a lot of, like, learning how to gauge that success of just going, project was up, it covered the budget, everyone got paid. Awesome. Like, sure, we didn't sell out, there wasn't five-star reviews in every publication across the city but not every show can do that and sometimes you just need to be going yeah cool i passed tick yeah (laughs) so i think did you learn anything from it yes great if you know that i always i'm trying to work out what have i learned from doing this past thing and where are the points that i can get better at you know yeah i think that's a great 
it's a great thing. And that's something I've always tried to do. Even the bad situations, like, I think you can always learn from any situation. I'm not a big person of like, look on the bright side of everything because I think some situations are absolutely shit. But I think we can always learn from those situations and always learn something from them and create a better future in that. Yeah, I don't, I think I'm trying to like, as much as I said the pass fail thing, I'm I'm more about now trying to work out, okay, what didn't work and why didn't it work and what can I change to make sure that it is different next time around. And I think yeah. even just adjusting that little mindset has been great moving like for me now just to be like, okay, I've recognized these areas of improvement. Let's get onto them and, you know, see how I can make it better next time. Great. Well, that seems like a nice kind of, an area to end in. Uh, listeners, I'll be getting Joel to send me some links, bio, and an image. So, you know, have a look there. And if you want to see more about what Joel's doing or maybe even just checking out the Adelaide Cabaret Festival that's coming up, because I think it's actually quite big over the next couple of years. It's a lot of different plannings in place um, for stuff. But There are um, some secret things I can't talk about right now. But uh... I'm, I'm sure there are even secret things that I don't know about, but the whispers <laughs> on the winds that I've heard uh, sound exciting. But 7th of November. You... <laughs> Look at it. Put it in the calendar. It's coming. It's coming. But thank you so much for your time, Joel. It's been an absolutely delight having this chat. Hey, thank you so much for having me. All right, listeners, uh, goodbye, and I'll catch you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Milky is your go-to for getting your show to the stage. We run industry-leading courses and workshops for independent artists and producers, covering everything you want to know about producing a show. Want to find out more? Head to our website, milky.com.au. That's M-I-L-K-E dot com dot A-U.